You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Grab your Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah chapters 3 and 4. And hopefully there's a picture coming up on the screen. And well, Mark Lowry, he's he's a billionaire, and he's outlined a vision for a 5 million person new city in America. And well, he's appointed a a very famous architect to design it as well. And he's unveiled this plan. It's 150,000 acres. Uh, and he promises it to be eco-friendly, which is always good today, to be sustainable energy, uh, have a drought-resistant system, and also that everybody from the center of the city would be 15 minutes from home, hoping to have a 5 million person city just like that. And the name of the city is called Tolosa. And well, this is Tolosa, is actually the reason they picked that name is Tolosa means a, a higher purpose. In other words, to have a utopian city. That this new city that they are going to build is going to be utopia. There's going to be no city like it in the world. This city is going to be wonderful and perfect. And not the problem is, though, they just don't need the land. But they reckon it'll cost $400 billion to get it done. And well, as they are planning this new city, eco-friendly, this idea of utopia, as we read Isaiah, and in this, these two chapters, what are we learning? We're learning that the Lord will cleanse and create a new city for his glory. That's what the Lord is doing. It is a horrible, horrible picture in Isaiah chapter 3 that we're going to come to. But it finishes oh so glorious. The Lord is going to cleanse and create a new city for his glory. And back in, in chapter 2, the, uh, the, it seems to show the religious structures and the feelings in Israel's religious structure were constantly reminded by idols. And in verses 68 of chapter 2, Last time we learned that people were full of phony. So with all these false religions, that they are full of superstition from the east and the the practices of the the Philistines. They're full of this false wealth of silver and gold. And and then they're also full of a false power. They think they have all these these soldiers, uh, uh, military equipment, and it's a false sense of power and security that the people have. And this kind of thing kind of continues on really quite through through the book, but especially in the chapter 3, because at the end of, ver- of chapter 2, verse 22, and that, that kind of springboards us into chapter 3, Isaiah says, Stop trusting the man who has put a breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? That's what the people are doing. They're trusting in people. They've abandoned God's ways, and well, a result of that is God's judgment is to be expected, isn't it? These are not just things that they are going to be judged for, but in and of themselves, the bad things that happen to Israel uh, are judgments from God. They bring about the bad on themselves, but when they do that, they are in fact judgments from God as well. So we're going to look at chapter 3, and the first thing that we see is the breakdown. The breakdown. Some of you will have watched the the TV show on Netflix or Sky or something, Designated, Designated Survivor. And well, just the first episode sets the scene. What happens is there's a new president being inaugurated in the Capitol building, and there's the thing flattens. Everyone dies bar a couple of people. And one guy who's set off in another room, he's a really low, low servant. No one knows a clue who he is. He's a designated survivor. So if something happens to the president and everybody else, he's the guy that will become president. And it's chaos. 
He's in charge. He's no clue what he's doing, really. And the place is in chaos. The whole society, the whole structure has broken down and is flattened. And it's that kind of total devastation, total wipeout that Isaiah is anticipating here in the structures and leadership. So in verses 1 to 7, we see the collapse of society. Society will collapse in different ways. So just like the the covenant curses in Deuteronomy, what's what's one of them? Famine, isn't it? And what's going to be missing here in the very first verse? It's food and water. The Lord will take those away, and this collapse will affect absolutely everybody. That's the point of verse 2. Everybody's mentioned there. There's not a job out of place. Everybody's going to be affected from military forces to church and the crafts. You could argue engineering, the, the scientific endeavors of today. All of it will collapse. Everyone will be affected. And it's going to be clearly seen in the leadership that's going on. Just like Disney is Viber, everyone's just wiped out. And this random guy pops up and he's now president. Well, in verse 4, this leadership that's happening is an utter disaster. Why? Because who's in charge? Boys. Boys are in charge. People who have no experience, who have no wisdom, who have no knowledge, boys are in charge. And it's just going to end in utter disaster. So what, what, what happens then in the, in the verse 5? The people will press each other. Everybody will against, be against themselves. The young will rise up against the old uh, and the base against the honorable. So those who are, the people are going to rise up against those in authority. They're going to have no respect for them at all. The young will rise up against the old. They will storm against them. They will be arrogant and they'll be loud-mouthed in spirit. It's utter anarchy, isn't it? This is the picture of Judah, of Jerusalem. But isn't it so similar to what we have today? Have people elevated the individual as a measure of all things, that the young is against the old in all aspects of it. Personal feeling and advancement are shrines in which people worship at. Good government is a blessing from God. It's a blessing that God can give his people and nations around the world today. A good government will bring justice. A good government will allow people to worship God. A good government will care for its citizens and bring order. But when good governments are absent, when good leaders are absent, there will be a bad government and trouble. John Calvin says that God judges a nation by its leaders. And here, this divine judgment on society that begins with the collapse starts with the disappearance of solid leadership. Boys are in charge, not wise old men, but boys. And then even whenever the boys get there, they don't even want to be there. So in verse 6, you have a cloak. You You look like the part. You go and do it. Even when the boys get there, they don't want to do it. They don't want to have responsibility. They want to pass it on to somebody else. It's not about qualifications, but all about show. It's not about substance, but style. Isaiah is describing the the breakdown in the national character of Israel, or of Judah, sorry, where the people just don't care about each other, and they take leadership as a bit of a, a joke. The society will collapse. That's what Isaiah is warning the people. And what causes, this, what causes the collapse? What is the cause behind the collapse of society? Augustine writes the city of God to refute the accusation that because Rome was sacked because of the Christians. That's what, that was the news story. 
Rome is sacked because of the Christian's God, and he writes his massive book refuting that claim. And people might blame the collapse on society on economic climates, the collapse on society because of government, because of maybe specific laws that are put in place. Maybe it is maybe large international corporations that cause a collapse of society or tech giants. And it might be all those things, but we could all boil it down into one verse, couldn't we? Verse 8. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord. We can distill down all the causes of collapse behind society, but the bottom line is this for Judah. God has been rejected. They are against the Lord in word and deed, and they defy his glorious presence. They ignore him. That is the cause of this collapse. And as they ignore God, what are they doing? Look at the next verse. They're parading about in their sin. They're open about it. They do not hide it. They do not blush, but they are proud. They are parading about, flaunting their sin, and they are proud about it. Despite the chaos that society is in and will be in, the leaders that are woeful, the people are just celebrating. They are defying the glorious presence of God. And they're like people of Sodom. People who are just flaunting their sin about. That's the cause of collapse. They reject God. In chapter 2, their sins were specifically exposed in those different ways. Each one of them. That money, the silver and gold, fake wealth, they need to come to the Lord. Idols, they need to come to the Lord. Power, they need to come to the Lord. That's the only way they got through all the battles before. It was not ever Israel's might. It was all of God's grace, wasn't it? God's grace helped David beat Goliath and multiply it out for every battle that Israel fought in. It was not of their own military strength, but the Lord. And the people forgot that. And the cause of this collapse, they defied the Lord. And well, what are the consequences of the collapse? Well, here there is, there is quite a lot. Some the consequences we've covered already. The consequences of rejecting God is to have bad leadership. The consequences of rejecting God is not having food or water supplies, uh, that the people would oppress each other. All those are factors. But we move into uh, like a, a judgment scene here, don't we, in verses 10 to, to 10 to 15. And this is in verse 10, verse 11. God says, woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They'll be paid back for what their hands have done. They'll be paid back for what their hands have done. They've done wicked. They'll be repaid with wicked. Yous oppress my people. There are rebels, is what God is saying. There are rebels, and these rebels, these are people that are leading us astray. People who are actively defying the glorious presence of God are rebels, and they're leading the people astray. That's the consequences. People are just being led further and further and further and further away from God. And then into verse 15, what does God say to his elders, his leaders, his rulers? What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, rubbing their nose in the dirt? That's what the rulers are going to be like. The consequences of the rulers is they're going to be horrible, awful. They're going to be crushing the low, crushing the poor, crushing people. They are defying the glorious presence of God. And they will be wicked to the people. 
this is about the breakdown of Judah, of Jerusalem. But if you maybe weren't here the very first week, we had to, we had to remember, remember that this is God's word written to God's people. And what applies to Israel, we also need to consider how it applies to the church, don't we? Israel is a nation. How do we apply this to the church? Well, church needs good, godly leaders to begin with, doesn't it? It needs godly leaders. Look at what God is going to take away in society in verse 2. The prophet. The prophet, the Lord. When the church has no leadership, when the church has wicked leaders, when the church puts its trust not in God but in man, like Isaiah 2, 22, whenever the church puts its trust in the finances that we have, that they're looking so good and healthy, or in the people that we have coming along or, or here, or the, having a full morning service, having so many people in the evening, when God, we put our trust in those things rather than God, there's a breakdown coming. Being proud, like we're not like other churches or other denominations, God will take prophets, preachers away. In Isaiah chapter 8, not Isaiah, sorry, Amos chapter 8, Amos writes around the same time uh, as Isaiah. In chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, it says this, A day is coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. A nation that will not listen to God's word will not hear God's word. God will break it down and take it away his word. Get praying. Get doing. PCI, we might be looking good. We're not. Fast forward 10 years time, what's society, what's church going to look like here even? Get praying, get doing. Make sure we have godly leaders. And with all of this, we just have to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. Why? Because look at verse 1. Who does this all? The Lord, the Lord Almighty. And then again into verse 15. Who declares all this? The Lord, the Lord Almighty. The Lord is declaring it. But we need to be praying to him, can't we? He's the one that can change it around. Do not trust in man, but trust in God. A breakdown of Judah is coming. And then secondly, what do we see in verses 16 in the chapter 4? We see influencers being brought down. And it seems here that Isaiah in these verses particularly attacks women, the rulers and people in authority, or the men. And it is their wives and daughters that is of this attack that the Lord speaks to. These are the upper class families, the wealthy families, especially compared to the, the normal families of Jerusalem. Because at that time, remember that the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And here the, the people are just flaunting their wealth. Like the social media influencers of today, they say, look at me. Look at what you could have. Look at what you could look like. Look at this hairstyle. Look at this tan lotion. Look at all this stuff that I could have. And that's clearly what the women in Jerusalem were doing. This is not a new phenomenon. <laughs> it's been happening for centuries. Look at verse 16. They have outstretched necks. They are proud. They are flirting. They are sexually impure. They are mincing steps. They are image obsessed. They are haughty. 
that arrogant pride, they have a stride about them. They're proud, you know, people walking with their noses in the air, not wanting to look down below their eye line, not wanting to look to the poor. They have an arrogant spirit. It says they, they have flirting eyes. They are sexually seductive and promiscuous. They want to, to behold and attract what is sexually impure. John Calvin says, what he adds about wandering eyes denotes shameless lust, which for most part is expressed by the eyes, for unchaste eyes are heralds of an unchaste heart, and the eyes of a chaste woman are not wandering or unsteady. If your eye wanders, it reflects your heart. Mincing steps then, what is that all about? They're obsessed with their jewelry, their finery, their luxuries, their accessories. They, are, they devote far too much of their lives to their appearance and their image. They're walking about like they own the place. And in a sense, they do because they have all the money. They have all this wonderful, wonderful stuff. Stuff that is worth lots. Stuff that is beautiful and ornate. But a reversal is coming. Look at verse 24. Look at all the instead ofs. A complete reversal. Instead of fragrance, instead of all the lovely perfume, there's a stench. Instead of a, a lovely sausage or rope, well-dressed hair uh, was a boldness. So they, were, they had all these fancy hairstyles that they, they, they were doing at this time, as it recorded in other passages in Scripture. But instead of wonderful permed hair, they're bald. Instead of lovely clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, they'll be branded. They're all vain and self-centered. This is not a nice picture. But all their whole emphasis, as they walked about the streets of Jerusalem, all their emphasis was about their outward appearance and not their inward appearance. And what Scripture has much to say about that, doesn't it? We need to love the beauty of godliness. Women and men, they love here the beauty of the world but not the beauty of holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter reminds women that they are to be modest in their dress and concerned more with godliness. The world does not have a category for that beauty. Some might say, oh, they have a, they have a beautiful heart. What is that really? See, for Christian ladies, if you're a Christian, you're beautiful regardless what you look out on the outside. Regardless of your outward appearance, you are beautiful because of your heart and your godliness. And if you're upset with how Isaiah describes these women, I think it was uh, who preached last Sunday, I can't remember. He read from Amos chapter 4, and women are called uh, cows of Bashan, so it's not too bad. But here, this is just wiping out the woman. They're so concerned with how they look. They spend hours getting ready just to walk about the town to be seen, and they forget utterly about their godliness. Woman, be godly woman. Men, be godly men also. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, we have a, a really final graphic illustration of, of utter humiliation for these ladies. These are ladies who are, remember, they're flirting with their eyes, they see someone handsome walking down the street. They're giving them the, you know, the flash in the eye, eyelids, whatever they do. That's what they're doing. They're walking down the street. You know, they're, that's what they're, they're trying to attract men. But in verse 1, it's a total reverse, isn't it? 
after the men have fallen by the sword in verse 25, there's not enough men. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food. We'll provide our own clothes. Just let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. For in Israel, remember to not be married or not to be in a family brought shame. And here these women are utterly shamed, aren't they? Seven fighting over one man. A man that's supposed to provide for them. He doesn't even have to provide for them. They're literally throwing themselves to get any sort of love and attention. They're utterly disgraced. The influencers will be brought down here in Jerusalem. And as they are shaken in their lives, as the church, we need to be shaken. Remember, this has to apply to, to God's words. The church has always had more uh, women than men, but why is that? Because men aren't concerned about the heart. They're not concerned about defying the glorious presence of God. And at times the church needs to be shaken, refined, and reformed. Lean times in church life are sifting times. Sometimes the church is out of shape and needs to be shaken. And although this will all come eventually to Jerusalem and Judah, there are promises of renewal. So in verse 1, God says, He will take away. In verse 18, God says, he will take away. But in chapter 4, verse 5, he won't take away. He won't even give something back. He's going to create something new. As painful as chapter 3 it might be, God is going to create something new and better through the branch of the Lord. Through the branch of the Lord. And you'll see it in that day, the day when God will pour out that judgment on his people, in that day, the branch of the Lord, what will it be like? Well, it's not going to be stripped bare like the people. It's going to be beautiful and glorious. It's going to be beautiful and glorious. This, uh, sorry, branch of the Lord is a, a picture used of David's line. So later in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, they talk about the stump of Jesse. And what, what happened? You, 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 they, God has cut off Israel on the, at the floor, just leaves a stump. It should be dead, but of course, we know that it can sprout up again. It's a natural process that happens. But here, what God is saying, I have chopped Israel down by the knees. I have wiped them out. I have poured my judgment upon them. But here's my grace. I am going to, David Lang looks like it should be gone. David's Lang looked like it's rotten and dying. I will provide my grace. Just when we might expect God's judgment to be poured out even more in total in totality, whenever we might think this is the end of the line for God's people in Judah and Israel, look at all that they've done to themselves. Instead of wiping all of them out, God comes with his grace, blessing and salvation. This mighty tree of Israel, it might be fallen, but a greater tree is going to rise up. Judgment will come. Yes, the royal family will be slashed. It will look like it's all dead and gone, but this branch, we know the line of David, will be glorious and beautiful. Not the fake beauty of the woman, but the beauty of the branch is Jesus. Jesus is the pride of God's people. We are to be boasting in him alone, not in what we have, but in him. Because in verse 4, this is a total change the Lord will wash away the filth of the woman. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem. 
by a spirit of judgment and fire. It's a total cleansing. Purified, made right before God. And in verse 5, this new city will be created. All the survivors will be there. And they all see God's glory. So in verse 5, Isaiah uses imagery from Exodus again. The fire and the glory cloud to be a canopy. It will all hang over all people, his people. Uh, it will gather all his people in. It will show all his people underneath this cloud or the fire by night are going to be cleansed. They're going to be holy. They're going to be no more filth. And this shelter, this cloud will act as a guarding for God's people. A great day of judgment is coming. This is what Isaiah is telling them. And it will be utterly incredible. Utterly incredible of force and justice. And how do we avoid it? The branch of the Lord. We run to Jesus, hide under the shelter of his branch, and his glory will guard us. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and the rain. Just like Psalm 91, isn't it? The shelter of the Most High. This is where we are heading through the righteous branch. The shelter of the Most High. We will see God's glory and we will experience God's guarding of our hearts. God remained faithful to his word and will always be faithful to his word. He is one whom we can trust, not like man. And he is our shelter in all of life. In the storms of life, in the, the, shelter, in the, the shade, in the sunny days and in the rainy days. When any nation finds itself collapsed on its knees, there's only one answer. Pump money into the economy. No. Jesus. When nations depart from God, we should expect judgment. When the church departs away from God, we should expect judgment. The only remedy is not treaties or the economy or false promises, but the promise we find in Jesus. There's this cleansing to come. come. This holy here does not mean to be super spiritual. It does not mean to be sinlessly perfected or or, or, or superior or obnoxious. It means that we are set apart to be the Lord's people. We're going to be cleansed and made holy. We're going to be set apart. God will continue to guard us. The Lord will bring blessing. The Lord will wash away and he washes away our sins in Christ. And the Lord is a place of refuge from the judgment to come. The Lord will cleanse and create a new city, a new utopia, a real utopia, the new Jerusalem. But he'll also pour out his judgment. And we need to be in Christ. <laughs> 